brothers and sisters who know you, declare your name, want to make you known. Lord, I pray that the same would be said as we look at your word. Thank you. In Jesus' name we pray for his fame. Amen. You may be seated. Man, that was awesome. Y'all are singing out. I was a sophomore in college, second year, and uh, I was walking across the, the main the main lawn of the uh, of Campbell University in North Carolina. And uh, one weekday afternoon, I don't really remember where I was going, where I was coming from, but uh, a guy came comes running up from behind me. Uh, a guy I didn't really know that well at the time. I, I, I became good friends with him after this point. But um, I didn't really know him well uh, at the time. Um, but this guy, Thomas Boozer, uh, Jordan laughed at his name the first hour. But uh, if you're Boozer, take it up with him. I didn't mind. Um, comes running up behind me and, and says, hey, I, I just got out of class with, uh, with John. John Roberts, he was my neighbor, not the Supreme Court Justice, but... Um, he was my, my, my sweet man in college, and, and uh, he lived right across the hall from me. He was Thomas was in class with John, and they were in a you know a religion class, a world religion class. They were talking about different religions, and the, the topic of Christianity had come up. They began discussing different aspects, various aspects of Christianity, and Thomas comes running behind me, and he said, "Hey, I've been talking to John." About Christianity, discussing, I had a lot of questions for him. He said I should find you, and I should ask you. I thought, not sure I'm the leading scholar on that at this point in my life. I still wouldn't put myself there. But John said that I should come, and, and and I should find you and ask you. The question is, if that were, if that were you, what would you say to him? How would you approach those questions that... Inevitably, you were about to begin to discuss. Well, in Acts chapter 17, the Apostle Paul has this very thing happen to him. And he discusses it, teaches on it, preaches on it brilliantly. So this morning, as we begin to wrap up the book of Acts, I just want to take a few minutes, the last half of the 17th chapter of Acts. Look at how Paul engages a culture that is that has never even heard the name of Jesus. And he bridges from that culture the gap to the gospel. And he does so brilliantly. So if you have your Bibles, Acts chapter 17, we're going to start in verse 16. As Paul takes the gospel and he bridges it to a culture, that has never heard it. Here we go. It says, Now Paul was waiting for them at Athens. Just stop right there. Paul was going on this missionary journey with, with two guys, Silas and Timothy. Paul had gone ahead of them and was wait, and got to Athens and decided to stop and wait for them. That was kind of the plan. So he's going to go ahead and then get, when they got to Athens, Paul was going to stop and he was going to wait for Timothy and Silas to catch up before they continued their missionary journey. Now, 
as you, as you and I would do, Paul arrives in Athens, and he does the tourist thing. And he just decides he's going to take a look around the city. The Athens at this point was no longer really a political hub. That day, that, that ship had sailed many years before, but it was still an intellectual uh, 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 art and athletic uh, center, metropolitan center. Think um, Harvard, Yale, Princeton, Oxford, Cambridge, all wrapped up into one city. That was Athens at this point in time. They also were, were a center for arts. And as you know, uh, athletics were the first, eventually the first Olympics would be held. Hell, that's what's going on in Athens when Paul arrives. So he gets to town. He's waiting on his friends to, to show up. And he decides he's going to do the tourist thing. He's going to look around the city, take in the sights, see what the city has to offer. Here's what happens. He arrives in Athens, and his spirit was provoked within him as he saw that the city was full of idols. So Paul arrives in Athens. He begins to take in the sights. And the Bible says that he sees all of these idols. Many historians, theologians believe that there were more idols in the city than there were even people. Every corner, throughout the streets, Idols everywhere. These, these Athenians, these people of Athens, were very, very religious people, but they were very unsure. They didn't know what to worship, who to worship. So they just worshipped everything, and they built an idol to do it. Paul, walking through the city, the Bible says, that as he sees all of these idols, his heart is provoked. He is moved with compassion. He is moved with love and mercy for the Athenians because Paul saw them the way that God did. And he was moved with compassion for them. Has that ever happened for you? Has there ever been a group of people, maybe family, that don't know Christ? Maybe it's a neighborhood. Maybe it's a nation. Maybe it's a people group. Has there ever been a people? Have there ever been people that moved you to compassion, moved you to passion, moved you to action, moved you with mercy and with love because of their losses? Has there ever been a gospel issue that has moved you, provoked you to compassion, to mercy? To love. The Bible says that Paul, whenever he saw the idols, he was moved to compassion because he knew their spiritual condition. One of the things that I really miss about working with teenagers every week is you could cast a vision to them and they would quickly be moved with compassion to do something about it. You, you had to direct them a little bit and you know, kind of put them in the right direction. But you can, you can cast this vision of lostness and, and teenagers who know Christ and desire to make Him know would run to action. On, the, on behalf of those that were lost. 
I'll never forget, a few years ago, we were talking, we had about 75 students in our student ministry. We were talking about a, a village in Africa, I mean, in, in China. My brother was working in China at the time. He was teaching English, but he was also serving inside of this village. It was an area of China that was, that was cold most of the year. Uh, very few of them had ever even heard the name of Jesus in, Ch- in, this, in this particular village of, in China. And um, one of, the, one of the, the issues, one of the problems that Jeremy and some of those working in this village had was that they were so poor there that many of them, adults and uh, uh, kids, didn't own shoes. The, or the shoes that they did own, own them, they didn't do any good in keeping elements out. And so there was a lot of disease, a lot of hardship as a result of this lack of ownership with shoes because of their poverty. And Jeremy was telling me, my brother was telling me about the condition of these people. And so I showed up on Wednesday night. I told these 75 or so students, teenagers, I said, hey, let me tell you about this village in China that my brother works in. Many of them never heard the name of Jesus. And one of the, the issues that they're running into in their, their, in their, their, their uh, desire to share the gospel is these people don't have shoes. They're, they're cold all the time. And there's a lot of disease, there's a lot of hardship as a result of it. And I said, you think we could, think we could raise, we could bring in enough shoes to at least give some of them shoes to cover their feet? They said, yes, I think we can do it. The way that we had it set up was a little bit of a dialogue. I said, you think, you think each of you could bring in three sets of shoes? We could, we could set the goal for the next three weeks, 300 pairs of shoes. That we could box up, and it's going to be expensive, but we could send them over to, to China so that these people could have them. One of the adults in the back of the room said, Scott, I think we can do 500. And all, the, te- all the, the students said, yeah, I think we can do 500. I thought they were crazy. I said, all right, we'll set the goal for 500 three weeks from now. Three weeks later. The, the next three weeks, we talked about the gospel and how... We can, we can meet needs, but the ultimate purpose is, is for the opportunity to share the gospel. And they, they caught the vision. They got the passion. They, they were spurred to action on behalf of these people in this small village there in China. Three weeks later, we showed up, and they had collected over 1,500 pairs of shoes for this village in China. And some of the, the adults there in the room that night said, Scott, I know it's going to be expensive, but I want to pay for a box to go over. So we boxed all the shoes up, and we, we put the address on them, and we shipped them off. Jeremy sent back pictures on behalf of the village. Kids running around with the first pair of shoes they never owned. These students, these teenagers caught the vision. Their hearts, their spirit was provoked on behalf of a gospel issue. Has that ever happened for you? I was reminded this week, I was at a conference listening to David Platt, and he reminded me this week, reminded all of us this week, that there are currently 27 million people in slavery in our world, the most that has ever been. The majority of them are girls 10 years and younger. That's a gospel issue. Now, you may sit here and go, well, that's for China, that's for Africa. But then David Platt went on to remind us that the, the destination for many of those slaves is the United States of America. And the primary uh, corridors 
that those slaves are, are put, are, are driven across the United States or on I-20, I-40, and I-44. That's not an international issue for you and me. That's a local issue. Has there ever been a gospel issue that has provoked your spirit to action? I was also reminded, maybe it's, it's foster care or, or adoption. My, my, my parents' best friends, Dave and Peggy, I've used them for examples many times, but when they, were, when they were younger, they were raising up teenagers. And they didn't know Christ at the time. And they were raising up teenagers, and their, their daughter, one of their daughters, came home one day. They had three kids. One of them came home one day and said, hey, Mom, Dad, I'm having a baby. Found out that I'm pregnant. They said, all right, we're going we're gonna to raise that baby. Uh, you're you're going to take the baby to term, and then whenever, whenever the baby is born, we're just going to give it up for adoption. There's families around here that would love to have a baby. They're not able to for various reasons. So we're just going to give that, that baby up for adoption. Well, after that happened, that's exactly what they did. After that happened, uh, they came to know Christ. And they, I mean, it was a radical, radical change. After they raised their kids, when I was a teenager, I was a little bit behind their kids, but when I was a teenager, they, they signed up for foster care. And they still have foster kids to this day. They've gone through, they have had over 60 kids, babies, come through their home as a temporary place to live until they would have a forever home. And the way that they, they keep track of their kids is the first time they, they, they go through the alphabet. So the first time, the first kid that they ever had, they named it an A name. And the second one a B name. And so on and so forth. And then when they, they got to the end of the alphabet, they started over. But this time it was A and A. So Alexander, Adam, or whatever. And, and it, all the way through the alphabet. And then they, right now they're in the third time through. They're almost through a third time of the alphabet. That's a gospel issue. Has there ever been a time in your life that your spirit was provoked, you were filled with compassion? Maybe it's poverty. Maybe it's adoption. Has there ever been a time that your spirit has been provoked, your heart has been filled with compassion to meet a need to see people the way that God sees them on behalf of the gospel? Paul showed up to Athens, and his heart was provoked. He was moved to action on behalf of the gospel. Church, we must be moved on behalf of the gospel to meet gospel issues around the world and in Web City as well. He continues. So he reasoned in the synagogue, as was his custom. He would always go to the synagogue first. With the Jews and the devout persons. And in the marketplace. Now the marketplace is the center of the city. It's not like the dollar section of Target. He's hanging out there creepily waiting for somebody to show up. That's not what he was doing. He goes to the center of the city. Where, where culture takes place. Where, where ideas are debated. Where, where um, uh, news moves. He goes to the center of the city, the, the central part of the city, the marketplace, where every day with those, uh, he went there every day with those who happened to be there. Some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers also conversed with him. So here's what happens. 
He shows up in Athens. He sees the idols that are being worshipped. His heart, his life, his, his, his spirit is provoked. His heart is filled with compassion for these people. And so he heads to the synagogue and begins to share the gospel. And he's rejected there, apparently. So he moves to the marketplace. He goes to the center of the city where people are, are headed towards a Christless eternity. And he shows up there. And he begins to have a conversation with Paul understands that the gospel is not something that is solely private, between him and God solely. He understands that the gospel is for the culture, it's for the masses, it's, it, it has the strength, it has the metal to be discussed with even the, the leading intellectuals of the day. So he takes the gospel to the center of the city and he begins to discuss gospel issues with people that are headed into Christ's eternity, including some of the, the philosophers. And some said, what does this babbler wish to say? They didn't understand. They began to, 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 you know, to, to mock him, derogatory comments for him. What is this babbler? I don't understand what he's saying. Others said, he seems to be a preacher of foreign divinities. So some of them are saying, they're making fun of him. Some of them are saying, wait, wait, wait. Obviously, we're not religious enough. Apparently, there's another... Maybe we should call him the blacksmith. Maybe we should call him the goldsmith. Because we need to go ahead and, and, and build another idol. Because there's another idol, there's another divinity that, that this guy, this apostle, this guy Paul, has brought to us. We've never heard of him before. So we need to add him to a list of all the other idols that we've been worshiping. That's what some of them said. Because he was preaching Jesus and the resurrection. Next verse. And they took him and brought him to the Areopagus, saying, May we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting. For you bring some strange things to our ears. We wish to know, therefore, what these mean. So, here's what's happening. Paul begins to teach in the marketplace. They've never heard of it before. It's a completely new category for them. And so, the philosophers take Paul to the Areopagus. That's basically court. And what Paul is going to do is he's going to present his message. He's going to preach a sermon. He's going to give his message to the, the, the spiritual leaders in the culture at the Areopagus. These spiritual leaders will hear the message, and then they will get to decide whether Paul continues to preach his sermon, his message, to the people of Athens in the marketplace. They get to determine whether he gets to continue preaching his sermon to the masses. And that happens in the Areopagus. So Paul steps before these spiritual leaders. And he takes them where they are in their culture. He takes them in categories that they already have. Knowledge that they already have. And he starts there with it. And then he, 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 has some, he builds some common uh, uh, rapport with them. And then he builds a bridge to the gospel. And he does it masterfully. Look at how he does it. Now all of the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there would spend their time in nothing except telling or hearing something new. This is a small verse in there saying that some people spent their entire lives doing what you did your freshman year in college, debating the meaning of life. Next verse. So Paul, standing in the midst of the Areopagus, said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious. So he builds rapport. He said, look, I've been, I'm a tourist in your town. 
And I've been looking around your town, and I see one thing is certain. You are very religious. And here's the cool thing. I am too. So we have this common rapport. You're religious. I'm religious. And then he says, in fact, uh, for as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, I found also an altar with this inscription, to the unknown God. So Paul says, look, I realize you're very religious. In fact, you're so religious that you've built altars to every possible God that you can think of. But you're also aware that there could be something out there beyond what you've ever heard of, an unknown God, and you just want to make sure that if he ever shows up, you've got your basis covered. You're a religious people. And so I saw this unknown God that you've built an idol to. And the God that you declare is unknown this morning I want to tell you today. Next verse. What therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by hand, by man, nor is he served by human hands, as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. So Paul says, what you have been worshiping as unknown, let me tell you his name. His name is Jesus. And in his divinity, he is bigger than anything that you could ever comprehend. The biggest statue, the biggest idol in this world, or in this city, he is bigger than that. He is worth more worship than that. He is the king of all kings. He is the Lord of all worlds. He created you by his very breath. What you have been worshiping is unknown. Let me tell you his name. He is more valuable. He is incomprehensible. His name is Jesus. He continues. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God in the hope that they might find, that they might feel their way toward Him and find Him. So what he says is this, this unknown God that I have delivered you His name, He's the one who created us, He's the one who created you. You, because you're spiritual, because you're religious, you've been searching for Him. Well, today you have found Him. And the reason that you've been searching for him, the reason you've been looking for him, the reason I have showed up today to give you more information is because he created you that way. You were created to long for him. You were created to look for him. You were created to have a relationship with him. And that's why you've been pursuing this unknown God. He continues. Yet he is actually not far from, uh, from each one of us. So he says, you've been looking Far and wide, but the good news is he is close. For in him we live and move and have our being. And as even some of your own poets have said, for we are indeed his offspring. So he continues to build rapport and to build a bridge to the gospel. So he, he shares about this, this God who has a name. You've been worshiping him as unknown, but he has a name. His name is Jesus. Jesus. 
And then he continues to build a bridge by, by a quoting two of their poets, two Greek poets. All of these people in the Areopagus would have heard this poet, would have agreed, would have, uh, would have heard these two poets, and would have agreed with them. There was going to be no disagreement on these two poets. So he, he quotes them to continue to build a bridge towards the gospel. Next verse. Being then God's offspring, he says, you, your poet said that we're his offspring. Since we're his offspring, we ought not to think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and imagination of man. He's bigger than that. Next verse. The times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. Because he has fixed the day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. So here's what he says as he closes his sermon. He says, Up to this point in your life, you have been worshiping, looking, searching in ignorance. But today is the day that you must repent. Today is the day that you must change your mind. That's what repent means. Change your mind. Change directions about this man named Jesus. And look at how they responded. Now when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked. Some said, I don't get it. I don't believe it. And I'm not going to follow it. But others said, we will hear you again about this. They're still, I still want to, I still want to have a conversation. I want to, I want I need more information. So Paul went out from their midst. But some men joined him and believed, among whom also were Dionysus, the Areopagite, and the woman named Damaris, and others with them. This morning. My question is this. The question that is asked in the scriptures is this. Has there ever been a people group? A gospel issue that has spurred your heart to action. Has there ever been an issue of people that has gripped your heart so much that you could not help but represent the gospel to them and for them. Paul makes it clear when he arrives in Athens that the gospel is worth it. Grace is worth it. This morning, I don't know where you're at. Maybe you've been just trying to keep a list of, of good deeds. And you think, you hope, you pray that at the end of your life that will appease a holy God. The gospel makes it clear that it won't. Maybe you're here this morning and you your past is filled with hurt, People that you trusted have taken advantage of you. The gospel 
shouts through the halls of history that Jesus cares. I don't know where you are this morning. Maybe you're here, you know Christ, you have you 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 understand grace as much and as fully as it's able. Has anything ever gripped your heart in such a way that it spurred you to action? One more example. There's a church in Birmingham, Alabama. Person in the church came to somebody on staff and said, Hey, there are there are a lot of kids in our in our uh, area in Birmingham that are without a home, a temporary home, a foster home, waiting to be adopted. The staff got together and they decided, you know, let's go find out how many kids really are in Birmingham without a foster home, that are without a home at all. So one of the staff members went, met up with CPS and uh, said, hey, how many, how many kids in, are in your system that don't have a home at all? Foster care home, adoptive home, they just have nowhere to live. The person said, we have about 78 kids right now in Birmingham without a home. This staff member, pastor said, well, our church has gotten, has, has gotten a heart for these kids. We're going to have a, we're going to have a, a we, we'd like to have a kind of a, a conference to qualify people in our church to be able to be foster parents. And our hope is that all 78 of them would be taken care of, taken into a temporary home until they're adopted at that conference. Well, this CPS person said, you are nuts. You have lost your mind. But they agreed to go ahead and put the conference on at the church there in Birmingham. That Saturday morning, 95 families showed up and all 78 kids were put in a foster home, a home that loves Jesus. That's a gospel issue. Have you been spurred on behalf of the gospel to make a difference in people, people's lives, excuse me, people's lives, neighborhoods that God has placed you in. Let's pray. Father, this morning, the gospel has moved from a short, small group of people to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and now it's to the ends of the world. And Paul continues to push it as he is burdened by the gospel. Today, in 2015, Wellspring Church, I pray that the gospel would continue to go forward with people whose spirits are provoked on behalf of the gospel. The gospel has the to change the lives of every person who walks this world. May we truly believe it as we live our lives on mission. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.